sounds of the world in one place. Chin Radio Ottawa, 97.9. Barrick Polson, LLP, is pleased to present today's cross-cultural talk program on Chin Radio. Barrick Polson, LLP. Practical legal services with no surprises. 236-0939. Back with you on Shin at 97.9 and 12.05. It's Gary Michaels. It is Thursday, and that means it's uh, our uh, regular weekly program with uh, my co-host Ernie Tennis on ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. And today, uh, Ernie, uh, being the man about town, the man of uh, a worldly man, uh, one time he was in Washington, uh, one time he was in Toronto. One of these days we're going to send him to the moon, but today we have, we have Ernie on location at St. Paul University. Hi, Ernie. Hello, Gary. St. Paul University, one of the great treasures of the city that's not known well enough, and send me to Beirut next time. Okay. So I can go with my beautiful wife, Yumna, again. I'm here at St. Paul University. They're having a two-day conference here on developing peace professionals. There's a great group of people here on uh, real-world people, on conflict resolution, and what uh, people can do, ordinary people people doing extraordinary things in extraordinary ways. Uh, there's a group of people around the table here, Gary, and uh, I'd like to sort of go around the table and ask them each to introduce themselves, uh, take a little bit of time to do that. We have here somebody who's been on the show before, Brian Strom, Executive Director of the Canadian Institute for Conflict Resolution. Of course, CICR one time sponsored the show. Brian, welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Ernie and Gary. It's, uh, it's good to be here. And uh, my role in all of this has been to work uh, as a volunteer, and uh, I got involved with this through actually Dr. Vern Neufeld Redekop, who introduced me to uh, to the people that have been working on this for a long time. And I was excited by their commitment and their vision to increase the capacity of uh, of a nonviolent uh, peace force in in Canada that could really, really do uh, significant things. Uh, in in conflict zones, uh, both in Canada and and around the world. So it's great to be here with uh, a bunch of really interesting people. Interesting people, men and women, and all ages. It's really uh, the whole range of our society. So Gary, are you hearing us okay? You are coming through loud and clear. That's wonderful. Ninety-seven point nine FM. And thank you very much. ADR is getting some airtime for the humanization of the knowledge of ADR. And uh, around the table here with Hans Sims, can you introduce yourself, Hans? Yes, my name is Hans Sims, and for the past 25 years I've been with Peace Brigade <coughs> International, and we've sent unarmed small teams into conflict situations such as Guatemala, Sri Lanka, and uh, to protect unarmed human rights activists who are threatened by death squads. We hope uh, to accomplish at this conference to share some of our skills and experience to work eventually toward the establishment of a civilian peace service Canada-wide. 
Thank you very much, Hans. Uh, you can see already the kind of depth there is here, Gary. Uh, next around the table here is Sarah Jane Maharg. I got her name right this time. Uh, Sarah, can you introduce yourself, please, in your background? Hello, listeners. Um, I am the Senior Research Associate at the Pearson Peacekeeping Centre, which is a training organization funded by the Canadian government. And the Pearson Peacekeeping Centre has been around for about 12 years now. We were created in 1995, so relatively new on the, on the, on the training scene. But what we specialize in, which may be of interest to the listeners, is we uh, are one of the organizations that puts civilians into classrooms with military peacekeepers and civilian police. And that is one of the ways that we uh, train our, uh, our civilians in Canada and uh, outside of Canada to really uh, hit the ground running when they're deployed to the field. So again, the Pearson Peacekeeping Center is also involved in research, education, training, and uh, capacity building all over the world, but mainly in West Africa in Nova Scotia, in Canada, as well as uh, particular parts of uh, Central and Latin America. Isn't that interesting, Gary, the word deployment can be used so the general public understands it in terms of military terms, but in terms of the spectrum of alternative dispute resolution, there's also this aspect uh, that contributes to the... Uh, to the area and in the room also there's some other participants from the course here and I don't want to forget to thank St. Paul University and Chantel Gagné who um, found this phone for us which is an interesting story by itself which I want to share but I'll go around the table here to Marsha Lake. Marsha can you introduce yourself for listeners please? Yes I'd be happy to and thank you for inviting me, <clears throat> pardon me, to participate in, uh, in a wonderful ongoing discussion that's happening here at St. Paul's. Uh, I'm doing uh, conducting graduate research now from Royal Roads University in Victoria, and um, my question is absolutely about peace building as a profession, and so I was very pleased to discover that this conversation and dialogue was actually going on here in Canada. I quickly booked a ticket uh, from Halifax and came here. Wow. I have an association with the Pearson Peacekeeping Center and have worked overseas uh, with the United Nations. Uh, I'm also an international delegate with the Canadian Red Cross, um, and I think I share uh, an in a sense of inquiry about uh, most people that I meet in my life say to me, how did you do that? How did you become involved in that work? There is a, <clears throat> a, across the spectrum almost a curiosity about this kind of work and how one might engage in the work, how to become involved. And so I think that's what this wonderful group of people are trying to flesh out and determine so that we can actually uh, focus on the global issues that we face uh, from the perspective of conflict resolution and dispute resolution and looking through new lenses. So thank you for inviting me. Wonderful. You see, Gary, we've got the East Coast here, too. Uh-huh. Maritimers. Well, you know what, and, and, and you know what ties in really nicely uh, with all of this, Ernie, was the fact uh, uh, that early this morning we, we got the good news that uh, the hostages had been released in Iraq uh, since... Uh, uh, their capture back in November. So all in all, it's uh, it's pretty much a red letter day for all of us, I think. Yeah, and then actually that that kind of topic comes up here a lot. And uh, another person that's going to talk about that is uh, our next guest, Graham McQueen. Can you introduce yourself, Graham? Yes, certainly. Um, I was the founding director of the Center for Peace Studies at McMaster University, in 1989, and have been involved in the Center for Peace Studies ever since. Uh, I've also been deeply involved with Peace Brigades International, which Hans mentioned earlier. I guess the thing to say here is that, like a lot of peace studies programs, we're not interested in merely a kind of armchair knowledge. We really want students to go out with some knowledge of how you actually build peace in cases where there's severe conflict 
and especially where there's violence. That could be domestically, but it could also be abroad. And we believe that, that a Center for Peace Studies has to be involved in not just conflict areas but war zones if it's going to have any credibility and integrity. So we have, in fact, had projects you know, in Sri Lanka, North India, uh, Gaza, Croatia, and currently Afghanistan. And we think that that's actually very important, that the students see that we're doing the work, we're on the ground, we're not just kind of disconnected utopians, and uh, which, of course, peace studies is often accused of. Not true at all. So here we have a gathering where people are talking very concretely about how do you do this work? How do you, how do you get off that armchair, go out there, and help bring about peace? So we're deeply interested in this. And, and you know, Gary, uh, the, uh, the on-the-ground experience of this group is really quite phenomenal. This isn't just uh, fluffy stuff. This is uh, stuff that really applies. It's like uh, a plug in a socket. You know, it's electrifying. It's the principles of peacemaking and the process of peace building is real-life stuff here. And uh, this is the whole point of this program, which we're really grateful for, is to... Uh, to acknowledge that with the general public. And our last um, person here, not least, and who a very key player to this, is Peter Stockdale. Peter, can you introduce yourself um, and the background as to how this two-day conference got off the ground? And maybe, Brian, if you want to weigh in on that subject, too, in terms of the role of CICR before we finish our first segment, then we can give the listeners the context. Peter? Sure, Annie. Uh, so I'm Dr. Peter Stockdale, and I'm so glad that, that uh, Dr. McQueen mentioned how to make this thing real, because that was really the aim of this two-day workshop, uh, Peace Building as a Profession. We wanted to get our students involved, and so this was integrated right into the course on contemporary peace building uh, that I'm lecturing on at St. Paul. Uh, I do a whole variety of different kinds of things related to uh, peace building in my work. So I have this academic aspect. I do employment equity negotiation at the local level, and uh, peace drama on fairly uh, crescent uh, off Hetherington uh, with uh, my girlfriend uh, Kimberly over there. And there are other things which are, are really interesting, I think, for listeners uh, that Ernie's aware of, for example, on Ottawa and Jerusalem, uh, building cities of peace. So we're trying to share our experiences uh, of uh, building peace particularly on uh, the religious level uh, between Ottawa and Jerusalem, and strength, at the same time strengthening our own uh, capacity for building peace. Uh, That's great. And, Gary, you hear the word doctor. Uh, they are doctors. They're PhDs, in fact. I think Sarah Jane Maharg also has her PhD. And um, there's medical models that are being used here, Gary, so it's sort of appropriate to use the term because it's a matter of, uh, we've talked before about fire prevention and taking care of your health, and the whole purpose here is the pre-conflict intervention during conflict and post-conflict. How do we uh, find ways to reduce violence and, and have a more healing world? I'm wondering if, um, uh, uh, Peter and Brian, you want to just discuss a little bit more about how this two-day conference came together. Well, it follows on from a meeting that we had last year also convened around the idea of a civilian peace service for Canada. We were trying to grapple with uh, how would we manifest at the federal level in both Canada and abroad an organization which would be as professional as doctors, lawyers, priests, and and others, 
and we were faced with there is a fantastic war architecture that that is very well developed. Uh, it has its own uh, traditions, training, and so on. And we saw that there is not a counterpart for peace. So what we realized is we have to define what a peace professional looks like in the same way as we know what a soldier, a doctor, a lawyer looks like. And so this meeting was to really try to scope out what that might begin to look like. Do I look like a lawyer, Peter? And Gary, we are broadcasting live from St. Paul University on Main Street from the uh, um, Civilian Peace Force Conference that's going on here for a couple of days, uh, uh, being supported by the CICR a bit. And before I grapple with uh, going to the break, I'm going to ask uh, Brian Strum, the Executive Director of CICR, to... Um, that's the role that CICR is playing here. Then I'm going to go around the table and ask each person here to take just a, a little bit of time to discuss what they hope will be accomplished from today. And then when we come back in the second break, we're going to get into the details of the conference. How's that sound? Sounds good to me, Ernie. And yes, you do look like a lawyer. <laughs> it doesn't sound like one. <laughs> it doesn't sound like one. Okay, well, moving right along. And what, what, uh, what in terms of CICR, uh, we, uh, as you know, Gary, and 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 your listeners, we we uh, do some training in conflict resolution, and and conflict resolution is one small slice of the skill set that uh, that would be important for peace professionals. Our our interest was to come in along with all the other participants and and rally around the need to increase our capacity both in numbers and in terms of, of training and standards so that we could uh, really consistently say that we have people who are equipped uh, and and ready to go into these conflict zones and and in uh, peaceful ways make a difference and so that's been our interest is to come alongside uh, academics uh, practitioners who have uh, years of experience, students who have been invaluable at this conference in providing uh, 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 research papers, and to really try and push, push forward um, a profile of what are firstly the competencies that we would want to see in, in peace professionals, and secondly, how could we uh, given the tremendous work that's done by so many organizations and institutions in Canada right now, how can we better collaborate so that we're all working to equip uh, peace professionals to the same standard of, uh, of qualifications? And uh, we're making wonderful progress, uh, a long ways to go, but we're excited uh, about, uh, about what's being done to date. Thank you, Brian. Hans Sim, we each take a minute to go around the table about your, um, your expectation, your hope about the objectives of today. What would you like to feel has been accomplished before the day is out today? I hope that um, unarmed peacekeeping by civilians trained uh, will become recognized uh, more and more as a specific skill and eventually become a profession. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah, Jane, Mahar. Hi, listeners. Really what, uh, what I'm coming to this, uh, this workshop uh, for and what I hope to see happen is three things. Uh, one is that peace practitioners or peace professionals begin 
um, considering themselves to be of worth, of value, that they should be compensated for their work. And I think establishing a profession indeed will uh, add that value and worth. And then the other uh, partners in peace, uh, for instance, the military, the peacekeepers, the civilian police, will begin valuing peace professionals. The second thing is standardization, reduction of uh, the mistakes and failures we have in the field uh, with other people's populations. I think just doing our best isn't good enough, and I think we need to standardize our role working with other, uh, other people around the world. The third is, I think, namely, adequate and affordable training for civilians who want to do this work, because learning on the job just isn't good enough. Well, thank you very much, sir. My wife, Yun, will be very glad to know that the profit with the P, the PH will be joined with the profit with the F and that there will be compensation. The, the wealth right now, um, in many ways, is the passion. You can hear the passion here at St. Paul University Live. And I'm going to ask uh, Marsha Lake to take a minute and just discuss what she hopes will be accomplished before the uh, conference is out. Thank you, Ernie. I think uh, I'll go back to... Uh, my, the reason that I came here was because I wanted to hear the ongoing discussion about where we are in the field. And I say that because I'm, I'm researching. I'm trying to answer the question, is peace building a profession? And my hope and desire is to add to that discussion and listen and see how we can create ways to talk to each other across disciplines. And I mean talk to the military, talk to all the actors in the field, and develop an overarching umbrella and create space where we come together, because I think we tend to see ourselves in the peace world as separate from those other actors mm -hmm. in some kind of way that are out there and that we, we haven't yet created, I think, effective ways to, to come together and really understand each other. I think we have to really approach the, it in that way. Yes. So I'm interested in that focus, and I'm interested in being part of establishing that. I want to be a part of the group of people that actually works continually on uh, building our common knowledge. Well, that's wonderful. You see, Gary, we're not watering down the fist side of ADR, but the word water is like each particle reflects the whole. And I think what she just said is that we're all part of this one human family. We need to put all the components together or we miss out. And I'd like to get... Uh, Graham McQueen to comment about what his hopes are, uh, what will be accomplished. And also, uh, you talked about space, uh, uh, Marsha. Uh, how did you get space at McMaster University? Could you give a little bit of background on that, too? Uh, how did we get space? You mean how did, we, how did the university yes. give us permission yes. to exist? Yes. Well, that remains a, a bit of an ongoing struggle. <laughs> we began in about <clears throat> 1981, and uh, the first course was offered about 1983, and we had 30 students in it, and it stayed level for several years. And now uh, our first-year course on peace and war is capped at 300. Wow. So there's a lot of student interest now. Uh, we don't have time to get into all the ta tactics and strategies you have to use <laughs> to get universities to recognize this is a valid area of study. But believe me, uh, we had to work hard. Well, that's great. And what do you, uh, and they keep up the work, and you're going to have a lot of support from people if you ever need it. I'm sure the university would like to hear that, and the public is going to get this information, and that's what universities are for, is to educate the public, and so they should get a copy of this CD. They can listen to the fine contribution that your program is making. What do you hope will be accomplished when you finish this conference uh, today? Well, I always come to gatherings and conferences like this with two main aims. One is ideas. I need better ideas than I have now. And secondly, partnerships and networking. And they're both very important, and, and, and that applies to this gathering as well. So in terms of ideas, uh, I have been involved in the process of deploying or sending people off to uh, areas of violent conflict. 
but I feel my own thinking about that has been a bit sloppy. What are the competencies that you need? What kind of person do you want to send? How do you make sure you've got the right person? This is obviously the gathering to be at in order to get some clarity on that, and it's been very useful. See, Gary, secondly, you oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, this is the partnership thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, at this moment in history, Canada's having to make some big decisions about Afghanistan in particular, and so I've spent a couple of days talking to people here about Afghanistan and how we might... Uh, carve out a role for Canada that fits its tradition of peacemaking, peacekeeping, and peace building. And I've made some good partnerships, and we have some tentative plans. So that's been useful, too. Okay, we can uh, maybe talk about that more in the second segment. Gary, I'm just going to finish up with Peter here, and I don't want to make the mistake of forgetting the break. So, uh, oh, how'd that rhyme? That was pretty good, eh? You're doing a great job, Ernie. Okay, <laughs> so Peter will finish off this first segment about um, his expectation as one of the organizers for this conference, and then we'll go to the break, and we'll, we'll, we'll have you bring us back on. Peter? One of the things that I realized in preparing this course on contemporary peacebuilding is that really this profession, if you want to call it, of peacebuilding is really at the barbarist surgeon stage of development. There's really a thousand years more development for us to get to the stage where the health sector is today. And I hope it's not going to take a thousand years and I hope we're also not going to make the same mistakes that we did in the health field, for example, uh, get rid of the midwives, which has taken perhaps uh, 200 years to get back to the state that it is now. So in thinking about this uh, profession and this workshop, I wanted to make sure that we uh, went forward in developing a profession, but not uh, leave people behind that we're already making valuable contributions. And so thinking, we have been talking about this metaphor of health, this is a health field, if you like, but a different kind of health, the peace sector health field, if you want to put it that way. And so trying to think about this whole field where we have in the health field uh, um, uh, public health, making sure that we have public health in the peace field, perhaps in the form of peace education, and make sure that we miss the different pieces uh, of peace uh, in order to move forward in the development of a profession. We need to develop a focused profession or professionals, uh, but we know that health is not created just by a good doctor. You have to have a whole panoply of different skills and professions all together in order to help create good health. Well, thank you, Peter. And uh, uh, he talked about a, a thousand-mile journey. A journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step, and there's another step here, and I'll step up to the plate and pass it back to you, Gary, so you can take us into the break, and we'll get back from you in a minute or two. You got it, Ernie. Thank you again. It's uh, Chin Radio at 97.9. This is our uh, Thursday edition of uh, the Cross-Cultural Talk Program, and uh, for those who uh, may be uh, joining us for perhaps the first time or uh, uh, just newly turned into Chin over the past couple of weeks, uh, this is a regular feature each and every Thursday afternoon at this time with Ernie Tannis on uh, Chin Radio on ADR, uh, Alternative Dispute Resolution, or Conflict Resolution, and 
uh, today our program is coming to you directly from St. Paul University on Main Street here in Canada's capital. We'll get back to Ernie and his guests right after this. Hey, Roberto, what's going on, man? What you been up to? Noah, I've been all over the world. First, I arrived in Asia. Then I lived it up in Lebanon. Cuba was cool. Then I kicked back in the Caribbean. How did you pay for all this? I didn't. I just turned on Chin Radio 97.9. They bring me everywhere I want to go and so much more. My child has been diagnosed with a learning disability. A student in my class has been diagnosed with a learning disability. I've been diagnosed with a learning disability. You have questions. You need support from people who've been there. A source you can trust. Visit www.ldac.ca, find practical information, and connect to one of 75 local chapters of the Learning Disabilities Association of Canada. We know the challenges. We see the potential. We're here to help. ldac.ca. 236-0939 is the number to call for Barry Polson. Real estate matters, both commercial and residential, are part and parcel of the services Barrick Polson can offer you. Their multifaceted bilingual staff offers professional, personalized service no matter what the need may be. Call 236-0939. Litigation, mediation, family law, tax law, licensing and technology, and so much more. Barrick Polson, a multi-religious, multilingual law firm ready to serve and just a phone call away. 236-0939. We're celebrating our differences on CHIN. Coming up at 12.30 on this Thursday afternoon, this is our cross-cultural talk program from CHIN at 97.9, and we're going back to St. Paul University, and here's Ernie Tannis. Thank you very much, Gary. Brian Strum had to step out. Hans Sim is still here. He's got to leave in a few minutes, so uh, let people know that. And Marsha Lake is here, and Graham McQueen, Sarah Jane... Um, Mahard and uh, Peter Stockdale. Uh, what I want to do in this second segment is talk about um, what's actually happening here so the listeners can get a sense of actually being here and observing and seeing what's going on here. Maybe I'll start with Peter Stockdale and uh, talk about the um, actual activities that are going on here, what's happened yesterday and today, what's going to happen this afternoon, um, and, what, um, and we'll talk about the vision in the third segment, but so this is kind of sense of what's practically going on here. They're going to go around the table and ask everyone to discuss what they've experienced so far, what they feel about it, and we'll end up with Hans. And if, since you have to leave, you can bring up any topic you want, okay? All right, Peter. Imagine being in the, an old seminary. You come through a front door, but it's changing. It's changing into a university, and you go down into an amphitheater, and you listen to first uh, a number of students who are doing just some fantastic presentations on competencies, for example, what NGOs would do in the framework of a civilian peace service, uh, what a peace university would look like here and internationally, listening to those kinds of presentations, and then being surrounded by a tremendous range and depth of experience from a variety of uh, the evolving field of peace professionals and being able to listen to that experience and uh, add to your own knowledge of the field 
uh, enormously by hearing that tremendous range and depth of which I just spoke. That's what it's been like for me the last couple of, of days. And this afternoon, we're trying to see if we can put f- together uh, parts of a profile for what a peace professional would look like in terms of their particular competencies, their skills, their inherent traits, what they are, and knowledge how to do, how to be a peace professional. Thank you, Peter. And I'm wondering, I think the word is demagogy, like to develop the theoretical underpinnings of any kind of academic uh, structure. And other people on the table can add on that. I mean, there's so many ways you could have structured this two days. Can you just discuss briefly how did you structure this? How did you think about how to sequence the topics and so on? And um, at this point in time, would you refigure it anyway, or are you okay with how it's going? Or uh, Oh, I'm pretty happy about what we've produced so far. I'm, I think I put tremendous uh, work on the students, which I don't think we really realized in the first instance when we were designing the course. And, but the work that they've produced has been very, very helpful, and I think it's made it easier for people to attend as uh, professionals in the sense that they don't ordinarily, uh, in the sense that ordinarily they have to present papers which take a great deal of time, et cetera, et cetera, to produce. This way they can actually work in the workshop rather than simply uh, fire their salvos in a nonviolent way and walk away. Do they get a credit for this? The students, the students? Oh, yes. Oh, that's great. And um, Gray McQueen, you know, they, there's like three doctors here, I guess, when you count uh, um, Sarah and, uh, and, uh, and Graham and, uh, and Peter. But, you know, the one thing I've, I've learned here is that the um, eagles are left at the door. The real, the real credentials here are acceptability to parties who, who uh, invite you in and the complete care and commitment of the individuals here, Gary, that well, that's the credentials that are at play here. But um, could you, uh, Gray, maybe describe what you've experienced, observed the last uh, day and a half? Well, just focus on one thing, Ernie, that I really like, and that is that there's been a good uh, balance of theory and experience. A lot of academic gatherings, people get up and read papers mm-hmm. about this is the way we think the world is, this is the way we think it should be, and so on. But there's often very little check in actual human experience, and it's a certain disconnectedness. Uh, what you have here is a case where someone will give a paper and say, okay, here's the theory of what it would be like and what it should be like to be deployed, right, to be sent to an area of violent conflict and to do a good job there in resolving conflict. And then a couple of minutes later, someone else will stand up and, and, you know, and give a talk saying, well, I was deployed, and I was there, and it was a violent conflict, and this is what I experienced. And, and that can be an important check on the theory. So, for example, um, you know, someone might say, well, I, I know that in theory we're all supported by our organizations, but actually I didn't feel supported. I went through grief. I went through stress. I went through depression. I came back, and I found it re- really hard to reenter Canadian society. So that's a good check for us. We realize that's a problem then. Or, again, someone might say, in theory, you know, we peace professionals should be, the, should be paid well for what we do, just like lawyers and doctors. 
And then, you know, Rachel Sutton from PBI can get up and say, well, actually, the only reason I had any credibility with ordinary people in Indonesia was because I wasn't paid very much. I was making sort of the same amount of money as a lot of them were making. So then you have to say, okay, well, let's think about that one again. So this, this balance of theory and experience is very rich. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, the word balance is so, so critical. And uh, Marsha Lake, could you please uh, just um, reflect on your experiences the last couple of days and what you're observing and feeling about the, uh, this experience? Well, I'd, I'd just like to follow on with just exactly what we're discussing here, and, and that is that theory to practice, I think, is uh, about holistic views of learning in all kinds of ways. And I think that this discussion has been framed in such a way how they've designed the program is that we get to discuss where we stand in our own experience of learning. And we also get to inquire. The spirit of inquiry is quite really alive here. It's very active. It's full. And people are, uh, and so it's a safe environment. So I think for adults to learn and to feel really like they want to explore something, you have to create an environment of safety where people will explore and say, I'm not sure about that. I don't know about that. Let's ask about that. Let's, let's look together. So I think when, you're, when you have the great gift and blessing to be able to be in a place where people, spirit of goodwill is here, people are really exploring, really, really challenging things, but in an environment that really builds on knowledge. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's what yes. this is about. And this is really, uh, as um, was highlighted before, uh, a beginning. So you're grappling at the edge of something that you can't see or feel. So you're struggling with conceptualizing something that isn't quite here yet. And that takes a richness and creativity and willingness and safety. So I think that's very, very much here. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, Gary, it makes me think, you know, our soul is in the heaven, but our feet are on the ground here, too. And uh, <laughs> at St. Paul University, live on Main Street. And uh, Sarah Jane Maharg, maybe you could... Um, contribute to your sense of uh, your experiences here so listeners can get a, a, a bird's-eye view of what's going on. I'd like to follow on closely with uh, what Marcia has just uh, talked about. My experience with attending uh, conferences and workshops is actually from a security and defense sector perspective. I'm uh, my, One of the other hats I wear is I'm a, a professor at the Royal Military College, and I'm also a, a research fellow with the Center for Security and Defense Studies mm. over at NIPSIA. So you can imagine where I thought I would be walking into a, uh, a room filled with, uh, with peaceniks, although that's not, but that's what some listeners may think, you know. But what I realized is when I walked in is uh, there's some, uh, and of course I've met a lot of these people before, but very, very bright people willing to have a discussion, willing to stick their necks out, willing to ask the difficult questions. You know, I, uh, I'm teaching a course right now, uh, Introduction to... Uh, Contemporary Peacekeeping, which is interesting because uh, Dr. Stockdale is... Uh, what was the name of your course? Contemporary Peacebuilding. <laughs> contemporary Peacebuilding. So I'm sure we're, we're, uh, we're talking about a similar goal, but from a very different uh, perspectives and, and frameworks. So, um, you know, I, I was interested to see what kind of participants would be here. And, and interestingly, uh, the, the security and defense conferences often have a lot of gray-haired men in suits. Now, this is a, a typical thing in that industry, but as a young 34-year-old woman, 
that can be disconcerting. It's sometimes difficult to voice my own opinions and to have rich conversations. But what I find here is that there's a real spectrum of people involved, and that's what we've been talking about. We have, uh, you know, there's, there's a few women that are 10 years younger than me. They're, you know, in their early 20s, but they're willing to have the conversation. There are people like Murray. What, what's Murray's last name? Thompson. Murray Thompson, who came yesterday, who's uh, in, in probably the last the last chapter of his career uh, and being very, very involved in these discussions. And, and yes, so he's, he's very, uh, uh, you know, there's, so there's a real spectrum here. And I think uh, what I found is the conversations are willing to happen and uh, we're really moving the conversation forward. Um, one interesting point, as my last point, is that there are no military people here. There are no Canadian Forces peacekeepers who are involved with the discussion over the last two days, although I think in the past there may have been. Uh, although um, what I would like to just put out there to listeners is that with my interaction at the Royal Military College, there are people who are thinking along these lines. There are people who are actually wanting to be more involved with the civilian uh, groups that are uh, working in, in uh tenuous uh, conflict situations like in Afghanistan, but they don't know how to become involved. And just because we don't have them here today doesn't mean that they're not willing to be part of this great movement. So I'd just like to end on that point. Well, thank you very much. I brought up, uh, you know, Ambassador John McDonald. He's been a guest a couple of times, Gary, from the Institute for Multitrack Diplomacy. And remember when we did the show live from Washington, he mentioned that the uh, War College United States is going to bring in conflict resolution. He, he lectures there every year, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Peter, did you want to say anything about that piece? And then we're going to go to Hans before the segment's out. Did you want to say anything about that military piece? I think there are a couple of things that might, might be said about it. Certainly, we realize that in order to deploy in the field, whether that means in Canada or internationally, you have to note that there are other people than yourselves, and that means the military has to recognize that there are civilians that they have to deal, deal with, and the civilians have, have to realize that there are the military to deal with, as well as other security sectors, etc., 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 uh, I think we have attempted on several occasions, and we have engaged in different ways members of uh, the uh, RCMP uh, or former, former members of the RCMP, uh, DND, and so on. But as Sarah Jane says, there is this question of they don't really know how to engage. And there is also, I think, uh, dealing with different organs of, of government, you have a reluctance to come into something which, well, you mentioned the word peaceniks, groups, um, uh, or what they perceive to be simply peacenik groups, to, uh, to legitimate it or uh, be part of something which is, well, as we've talked about earlier, still in a, an early stage of development. They may be able to see it's, it's valuable, but does that mean they have to attend? Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Peter. Uh, we're going to be uh, finishing this segment with uh, Hans. He's got a lead. I think you're going to meet with Vern Redekop. He heads right. up the uh, Masters of Conflict Resolution Program here at St. Paul, which is in the second uh, 
set of students, I believe. Um, Hans, uh, before you leave, did you want to comment on your observations the last few days? And Gary, before I forget, for the listeners in the third segment, I'm going to report out what we heard this morning about the breakdown of conflict around the world, the percentages of conflict in the different continents. It's a very interesting set of statistics. But um, Hans, why don't you just give, take a minute and about your observations and then any topic you want to bring up before you leave. Well, I'm greatly encouraged in seeing the unthinkable becoming thinkable, namely peace as a profession and a civilian peace service, not only for Canada, for, but for other countries. Um, indicative of our present early stage is the absence of uh, financial support officially. So fortunately, we found a group of local artists who put on a performance last night yes. as a benefit concert and uh, we had Jerry Childs doing modern jazz, Mary Rackloss and Mark, Mark Slotky doing classical, Evelyn Void and Rene Gell did uh, performance art and the grateful we are not get that <laughs> put on a wonderful uh, country music performance. So by virtue of that dedication, we have been able to cover our expenses. We hope that next time uh, the Canadian government or someone else might want to step forward to allow us to organize and stage our next uh, conferences on workshops to move ahead. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you mentioned the concert last night. So it's music to our ears, for sure, Gary, to see this conference going on. So I'll take it back to you. We'll come back in the third segment about analyzing conflict in the world and some visioning in the future with our really remarkable guests. And you are listening to Chin in Ottawa 97.9, our Thursday edition of, uh, excuse me, cross-cultural talk uh, pertaining to conflict resolution from St. Paul University. And we'll be back after this break. Some water. Sweetie, how do you feel about Italian tonight? Or how about some Spanish? I could go for some Portuguese. Satisfying your appetite for world music, Chin Radio 97.9. Are you young with a great idea for a business but stuck in a dead-end job? The Youth Entrepreneurship Project may be just what you need to get you where you want to be. If you are between the ages of 15 and 30, are unemployed or underemployed, are in the need of assistance to overcome employment barriers, and have been out of school for at least six months, call the Enterprise Centre of the National Capital Region's YMCA-YWCA at 788-5001, extension 4173 for more information. The Youth Entrepreneurship Project is funded by Service Canada, the CIBC, and the National Capital Region's YMCA-YWCA. Barry Polson, Ottawa's full-service law firm, is just a phone call away at 236-0939. Real estate, wills, family matters, mediation, litigation, whatever and whenever the need arises, you can count on Barry Polson for professional and personal attention. Barry Polson, referred by many, chosen by many, and just a phone call away, 236-0939. Barry Polson is Ottawa's full-service multilingual law firm. Call them today 236-0939 Español Punjabi Tagalog Lebanese 
Italiano. We speak your language on Ottawa's multicultural voice, Chin Radio 97.9 FM. Worldwide, uh, Canada is known as a peacekeeping country, and uh, we continue the tradition uh, with our various guests on our program this afternoon with cross-cultural co-host Ernie Tannis from St. Paul University. Ernie? Thank you very much, Gary. We are still here with our, our uh, guests. We have a new guest, too, now. We have other participants here uh, in the room. Uh, Lynn has joined us. Uh, Lynn was a facilitator yesterday. You did a good job as... Uh, as uh, everyone has been doing here, and uh, Kimberly, your friend here, has done did some great notes today. Instead of to get the feedback, she's really good at capturing things. So, Lynn, what you want to just just give your full name and what your background is, yeah. what drew you here, and what your experiences are. This last segment is like a vision which you really hope our society, because a lot of our listeners, you know, we're all down the earth people. They want to have a sense of hope, I think, in this sort of conflict-ridden world. Absolutely. Uh, my name's Lynn Adamson, and I'm on the International Governing Council of the Nonviolent Peace Force, which envisions a, a large number of people, thousands of trained, unarmed uh, peace builders who can travel to different conflict areas of the world and be right on the ground working with and encouraging local efforts at peace building. So, for example, we have a team right now in Sri Lanka, uh, and we will be having teams in, in many other locations. We're, we're looking at different places, including Africa and the Philippines and Colombia. And I've worked in this field for a long time, for several years with Peace Brigades International, developing a project in Indonesia. And in every case, it's a situation where local NGO groups invite in internationals to come in and work with them in the conflict zone to preserve safety for local people and to provide support and to get the word out internationally as to what nonviolent movements are doing to build peace. We often hear about the violence and we don't hear about the nonviolence and the hope the people building in their in their local areas for peace and that's what we need to know more about. So that's why I'm in this field because I do think that the hope is it lies in 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 developing a civil society and and uh, strategies that involve nonviolence and reconciliation, building together. Thank you. Thank you. See, they could just feel the enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, Sarah, I'm going to go back to Sarah here. You know, she um, gave her age. You never ask a woman her age, so I didn't have to do that. <laughs> but uh, the group here, there's a few dozen people here, and they're all different genders and age groups. It's really quite a remarkable reflection of, uh, of society and uh, and, you know, she mentioned the Pearson Institute. Of course, most Canadians will remember Mr. Pearson, our former Prime Minister, and Nobel Peace Prize winner. There used to be a group called SIPS, the Canadian Institute, International Institute for Peace and Security, which no longer exists, but I think his son uh, ran it for a while, some time ago. But it's good to see that the Pearson Institute and the name is still around. I think Canadians would be very proud of that. Sarah, can you take, we got a, um, enough time for each of you to take a couple of minutes just to reflect on your vision for the future for our society, right from the like the grassroots family level to the international family community? You know, the, the Pearson Peacekeeping Center does have a set of values attributed to it, uh, the Pearsonian values. Um, and that uh, in itself is something that I want to talk about, uh, this idea of, of cooperation and internationalism and um, reducing or alleviating uh, the plight of civilian populations around the world. Uh, sometimes uh, political resolution, sometimes more at the, at the, at the ground level. And, um, you know, if, if we're looking at what Canadians can do, I mean, we, we may or may not be a peacekeeping nation anymore. Peacekeeping may be dead. 
we don't know what we're doing anymore in places like Afghanistan. We don't know if it's combat operations or if it's peacekeeping. And that really, I think, does impact what peace workers, peace practitioners, peace professionals are doing in those places and how we're thinking about these these issues. So I think for, you know, Canadians can probably do a lot more work at home and cooperate amongst ourselves before we go off and uh, experiment again on other people's populations. We need to be very uh, proactive about what we're doing together. Again, it comes back to cooperation. One of the things, uh, you know, listeners may have heard this before, but this idea that uh, sometimes peace uh, peace professionals, peace practitioners uh, work at cross-purposes in the field, uh, you know, they... Uh, it, unlike perhaps um, maybe peacekeepers or different militaries who work usually um, on different, you know, very um, uh, lines of operation directives that allow them to do their work without um, miscommunication. Um, again, I don't want to draw a comparison, but it would be great if we could figure out a way to cooperate amongst ourselves uh, that allows uh, for reduction in, in cross-purposes, cross-communication, and, and really does impact the recipient populations or the people who are receiving the interventions, if that's what we're doing. Again, capacity building, that's one word that listeners may have heard uh, being thrown around uh, when they when they listen to uh, some of the government speeches, uh, this idea of capacity building. Well, you know what? Capacity building is a two-way street. Again, it's not something that we just do for other people and we help other people get their legs back in post-conflict situations or even pre-conflict, but rather, what are we learning from these groups, these people, and what can we bring home to Canada? It's not just us going away, it's us bringing things home again, because really, like it or not, we do have social issues in Canada that need addressing, and we could probably be doing some better work here at home. So from a really big view, that's what uh, what I see coming out of these initial uh, discussions. Um, again, better work at home and cooperation. I think once we cooperate and communicate, not, not coordinate, that's different. Cooperation just means that we are, uh, you know, actively working at least in the same direction, and I think we would... Uh, that will that will serve the uh, peace professionals or a peace profession. Thank you very much. You know, Gary, Sarah made me think of when we uh, when interviewed Noam Chomsky. Remember a little while ago? Yes. And he was talking about intervention in other parts of the world. I said, how about if we had to take a better look at the uh, Aboriginal peoples in North America and what's happening, in, in, including in Canada? So we've got to move from NIMBY, not in my backyard, to YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. Yeah. And uh, I wonder. Um, Marsha, maybe you could uh, share your vision uh, about uh, the future of this, what this will do for us, this world peace through inner peace, through what you hope to accomplish, some, some picture of what the future you hope will look like. Well, I think this is a very this, um, synergy in this conversation. I'm just floating al along on top of it because it's, uh, there's so many places I, I could join in, and so I'll, I think I'll just join in on that. The theme of... Uh, Maybe human security. I think that's a model that the Canadian government often talks about. I'm, I'm certainly involved in it from my program at Royal Roads University. But let, let me just say what, what that experience is for me. When I recently came back from Uganda working there, a person in Uganda said to me, Marsha, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I said, well, I'm here to learn from you. Mm. Oh, there was a big smile at first, but it really I wanted to understand. And she said, well, why would you come all this way, you know? 
And I said, well, because I believe absolutely in my entire being that if you have a problem here in Uganda, this is my problem. Mm. So this is how do we view the world. Do we think of the problem that's experienced somewhere else as not our problem, just by the nature of being a human being? Or do now in our globalized world, do we, do we, do we start to become afraid of the other? Because we have some idea that somebody else is other than who we are. Mm-hmm. This is uh, my experience. Is not that we are all in the human family. So, and that's very easy to say. But it was my experience as I went along my own journey that confirms this for me. So I believe this wholeheartedly. And from that place, I believe that uh, my work is with my human family. And that doesn't matter. I mean, some of us are struggling more in other places, but I feel we have a responsibility. Those of us that come from places in the world that are rich in resource and rich in opportunity, once you have so much stuff, you have to go beyond yourself. Once your needs are met, you must go on and see how it's working for others. Try to get inside that and and work with that. That's wonderful. We're the wholehearted. You can feel the heartfelt concern here. I think, Gary, if my watch is right, Shapiro, if the time zone here at St. Paul University on Main Street is the same at Chin Radio 97.9 on 30 Murray Street, we've got about three minutes left. Is that right? You're right, Ernie, and, and, and truthfully, uh, what we're hearing today in this program is, uh, is special. It's, it's all about caring, it's all about respect, and it's uh, all about uh, thinking about uh, one another, I believe. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's real-life applications based on experience and future. We've got, uh, I'm going to ask um, Graham McQueen and Peter Stockdale to sort of wrap up and uh, take a minute or so each to sort of share their vision of, uh, of the future. Um, okay, Ernie, well... Um I'll start with the grim part. Um, There's a lot of reason to believe we're going to confront a number of very serious crises, most of them environmental, in the present century. We're going to have to face the biodiversity crisis, the deforestation crisis, the energy crisis, the water crisis, the Mm. population crisis, and I could go on. And I think if we're going to come through this quite seriously without major population die-off and possibly even civilizational collapses, at least partial, Mm -hmm. we need to become better as a species at Mm problem-solving, caring about each other, but also just plain problem-solving as a global group. And the war system, as I analyze it, is a major block to our doing Mm -hmm. species-wide problem-solving. We cannot afford to be piling up weapons and sustaining massive military industries and threatening and bullying each other anymore. We can, we, maybe we could for over the last 5,000 years, but it is not sustainable. And we need to move to a peace system which is based on international law and courts and possibly police and respect for each other and a culture of peace with all sorts of traditions of caring uh, and problem-solving which can be passed down through peace education. So I don't think this is a luxury we're talking about here, and I don't think we're the utopians. I think the utopians are people who think we can keep going the way we've been going the last 5,000 years. Thank you very much. I'm going to... Um, and uh, Gary will not bully me off the air, but I, we have one minute left, and I'm going to give the last word to Peter Stockdale. But before I go uh, to that, I want to thank Lynn Adamson, Brian Strom, Hans Sims, Sarah Jane Maharg, Marsha Lake, Graham McQueen, and Peter Stockdale, and St. Paul University for this wonderful opportunity. So, Peter, can you take a, um, a minute or less to uh, share your vision? I think Canada is falling behind its traditions, falling behind itself. We created peacekeeping. We 
started to create peace building and we're starting to fall back on both of those. The Europeans have already created a German civilian peace service and they're going ahead at the European level. We're falling behind. We have the, the capacity clearly at this uh, meeting to create a civilian peace service to help create a peace profession for the world. And my hope is that we will do that. Isn't that wonderful, Gary? And, uh, you know, your instinct to have a show like this is paying off, and I believe even more we're going to go far with ADR. Ernie, thank you. Thank you to your special guests. Thank you all for your contribution to the program today. We truly appreciate uh, your efforts, and uh, uh, as we continue to spread the word on uh, ADR, as Ernie says, uh, Chin will be here 110% behind you at 979 Today's cross-cultural talk program has been presented in part by Barrick Polson LLP. Practical legal services with no surprises. 236-0939. is CJLL, Ottawa's multicultural voice, Chin Radio, 97.9.